It's Monday, May 1st. I'm Brian Dean Wright, former CIA operations officer, and this is The Wright Report. A good day to you, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to The Wright Report, your daily news podcast. I've got four briefs for you this morning that are shaping America and the world. First up, the director of the CIA is admitting that he met with convicted sex offender Jeffrey Epstein. I'm going to explain what we know and why this is of such grave concern to America's national security. Second, the FBI says that they need more cyber agents because they are being outgunned by China 50 to 1. I'll give you those details. Third, we've got a tricky case of what we might call the water wars all out in the western part of the United States. I'm going to give you the details about a company from Saudi Arabia who is using Arizona's water. And you all can decide if that is acceptable. Fourth, I've got an update on the growing conflict in the African country of Sudan. So, folks, it turns out that you might not be able to drink sodas if the fighting there goes on for much longer. I'll explain that unlikely connection. Later, we close out the podcast with this question. How do you define a secure border? Well, a listener in Colorado asked me that question, and we are going to discuss it. But first, let's get to our top story of the morning. Although, before we do, I should offer you all a warning. If you have little ones around, you may want to push pause until they're out of the room. This one is not good for little ears. Listener discretion is advised. So with that, let's get to it. The Wall Street Journal is reporting this morning that the director of the CIA, a man named William Burns, met on multiple occasions with a man named Jeffrey Epstein. Mr. Epstein was a convicted sex offender who died while in prison under some very mysterious circumstances. So let me relate to you what the Wall Street Journal is reporting new this morning and why you should care. But first, let's talk about some quick background. So back in 2006, Mr. Epstein was publicly accused of sexually abusing girls in Florida who were as young as 14 years old. Now, this was not a secret at the time, right? Most political leaders and major corporate executives in America were all well aware of what he was doing. In fact, you should consider the statement made by Cindy McCain, who's the wife of former U.S. Senator John McCain. She currently serves as the chief of the United Nations World Food Program. Quote, we all knew about him, Jeffrey Epstein. We all knew what he was doing, but we had no one that would go after him. They were afraid of him. For whatever reason, they, the U.S. law enforcement, were afraid of him. End quote. Well, eventually the FBI and local police did decide to investigate what apparently everyone knew in the halls of power in America, which was that he was, in fact running a prostitution ring for young girls for very powerful men all around the world. So based on that investigation, Mr. Epstein reached a deal with prosecutors back in 2008. He avoided federal charges, which was quite strange, and instead he pleaded guilty to soliciting and procuring a minor for prostitution. He registered as a sex offender. All right, so that's the background to this story going all the way back to 2008. And here's what the Wall Street Journal is now reporting. In August and September of 2014, when Mr. Epstein was back abusing young girls and arranging for them to meet with older gentlemen in his townhouse, the now CIA director, William Burns, met three times with Mr. Epstein at that townhouse. 
The meetings, by the way, were scheduled for the evening hours. Now, I just want to be very clear here. The prosecutors have confirmed that Epstein's townhouse at that time when Mr. Burns was there was being used for the prostitution of young girls for Mr. Epstein and his older, well, shall we say again, gentleman clients. So that's what Mr. Burns went into in those evening hours back in 2014. During that time, by the way, he was working for President Obama as a senior member of the U.S. State Department. And of course, he was later picked by Joe Biden as the director of the CIA. Well, this morning, Director Burns is in the hot seat because of this disclosure. For the record, he is denying that anything inappropriate happened at that townhouse. In fact, I want you to listen to this. He's saying that he didn't even know anything about Mr. Epstein when he went into that home. Mr. Burns is, in fact, saying that he had no idea about Epstein's admission of sexual abuse in the years prior or that he had to register as a sex offender, even though, once again, it was well publicized. So here's what the CIA spokeswoman, uh, someone named Tammy Kupperman Thorpe, said yesterday, speaking on behalf of Mr. Burns, quote, the director did not know anything about Jeffrey Epstein other than that he was introduced as an expert in the financial services sector and he was offering Mr. Burns some general advice on a transition to the private sector. They had no relationship, end quote. Well, when asked how the CIA director came to know of Mr. Epstein, well, the spokeswoman said, quote, through a mutual friend, end quote, though the uh, CIA spokesperson did not name that individual. So those are the facts this morning, and now I want to talk about why you should care. And to do so, I'm going to pivot to my analysis and opinion as a former CIA officer. And I want us to start with a recap. So the current CIA director went to the home of a man who we know was running a prostitution ring of young girls in that home, specifically four powerful men. And Director Burns, who was working as a senior official with the State Department, went to that home in the evening hours, specifically in 2014. Now, the CIA would have us believe that the director did not know anything about Jeffrey Epstein. In fact, they just talked about financial services. And that's a lie, right? By 2014, Mr. Epstein's crimes had been widely reported in the press. And as fellow Ambassador Cindy McCain noted, Quote, we all knew about Jeffrey Epstein. We all knew what he was doing, end quote. Okay, so the CIA is clearly lying this morning about the director not knowing about Mr. Epstein, which would suggest that he's also lying about the nature of those evening meetings in a house where young girls were being sexually trafficked. So why should you care about that? Well, putting aside our moral responses, which are probably filled with outrage, and that is both fair and appropriate, I want us to focus on the national security implications of this story. Folks, foreign powers look for vulnerabilities in our political and military and intelligence officers. They, They look for ways to blackmail those people, whether they be junior or senior in rank. And they blackmail them because those U.S. government officials have secret information or access to important facilities or both. And what I can tell you as a former CIA officer is that with high confidence, folks, I believe that foreign powers knew about this Burns-Epstein connection, right? Foreign powers have something very derogatory on the CIA director. 
And here's how I know that with a high degree of confidence. Mr. Burns was a very senior State Department official at the time, meeting with a known sex offender who was trafficking underage girls for powerful men all around the world. And I promise you, countries like China and others collected something called SIGINT, or signals intelligence, like emails and phone calls, on both Mr. Epstein and his, well, male clients, shall we say. In other words, folks, the entire Epstein network was a target-rich environment, uh, an intelligence goldmine. It was chocked full of blackmail material on global elites who had top-secret information. So, unquestionably, undoubtedly, foreign powers are going to want to know more about that and the people involved. So if Director Burns were any other ordinary intel officer this morning, these facts as we know them would mean that he would be deemed a national security risk, and he would either be fired or forced to resign or investigated by either internal folks within the CIA, the FBI, or Congress would probably get involved, those oversight committees. So will any of these things happen in this particular case with Director Burns? I don't know. But if not, the message is going to be very clear to other CIA officers that, well, you can get away with whatever behavior if you are protected. In this case, by, well, someone at the White House. So, folks, that's why I'm bringing you this news this morning. It is, from my view and based on my experience, a national security nightmare. Right, to have your CIA director so obviously lying about their behavior that, well, no matter your politics, this should be dealt with immediately. It's a, it's a crisis, and it ought to be treated as such by someone within the Biden administration. I'm doubtful that it will, but let's see. More to come. With that, let's move on to our second brief this morning. And it's actually connected to the first that we just talked about when I spoke of SIGINT or Signals Intelligence. So on Thursday of last week, the FBI director told Congress that the Bureau is outnumbered by at least 50 to 1 when it comes to China's cyber hacking abilities. Quote, they've got a bigger hacking program than every other major nation combined. And the Chinese have stolen more of our personal and corporate data than all other nations, big or small, combined, end quote. The FBI director continued by saying, quote, to just give you a sense of what we at the FBI are up against, if each one of the Bureau's cyber agents were to focus exclusively on the China threat and nothing but China, well, Chinese hackers would still outnumber FBI cyber personnel by at least 50 to 1, end quote. Now, it is true, as in fact he spoke to Congress, that the CIA and the Department of Defense and the NSA all have their own cyber agents, and that could help out, sort of even out the numbers of 50 to 1, but even still, the math generally holds, right? China's cyber capabilities are very good, and they have far more agents than we do. So the FBI is saying that they need more money to address this gap to hire more cyber agents. They want 200 positions, costing about $63 million, give or take. All right, so that is the FBI ringing the bell that China is a grave and growing cyber threat. So as we process that news, we should consider this news. Last Thursday, as the FBI director was testifying in front of Congress, the U.S. National Security Advisor said that, well, actually... 
the threat is not as grave as one might think. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan said that when it comes to our relationship with China, we ought to grow it, especially our economic relationship. So here's what he said, quote, we are not going to cut off trade. We are for de-risking and diversifying our relationship with China, but not decoupling, end quote. Well, whatever you think about that, growing closer to China economically, well, the data show that, well, unfortunately, he is right that U.S. corporate interests are strengthening our relationship with China. According to the U.S. Department of Commerce, trade between the U.S. and China soared to a record $690 billion last year. That broke a previous record that was set in 2018. With that, let me now pivot away from facts and data this morning to my opinion and analysis. So let's start with the FBI's request for another $63 million. All right. We might want to go ahead and fund that, but also we might want to consider that we already spend around $10 billion on FBI operations annually, and we do so with a staff of 35,000 people. So maybe they need another $63 million and so many hundreds of new FBI agents, but perhaps they just need to prioritize things a bit differently. But look, the much bigger story here continues to be that the U.S. government remains sort of committed to this contradictory policy on China, right? We, we push the brake pedal with one foot, such as the FBI director saying that Beijing is a grave and growing threat, cyber included, and yet... With the other foot, we're pushing the gas pedal. The National Security Advisor says, well, actually, we need a closer relationship, especially more trade. And yet that clearly means that our supply chains become even more dependent on what is obviously the grave and growing threat in Beijing. So none of this to me makes any sense at all. Not if you're a serious country anyway. But as ever, I will leave it up to you to decide what you with that, let's take our first break of the morning. Now, most of you likely aren't going to hear any ads over the next few minutes, so enjoy the ad-free experience for now, and we'll be right back. Welcome back to The Right Report. Let's continue with our briefs this morning. We've got to talk about more national security news. And this next story has to do with water. Who gets to use it and for what purposes? Because there is a company based out of Saudi Arabia. It's a company connected to the royal family there. They believe that they should be able to use some of Arizona's very limited supply of water. Meanwhile, opponents say that it's not right that a foreign company should get control over that dwindling resource. So let me give you the facts, and then you can decide what you think and how you might determine who gets what water. So here's what we know as reported by CBS, the Associated Press, and CNN. So in the southwestern corner of Arizona, next to the California border, is La Paz County, just north of the city of Yuma. And in that rural county, there's a hay operation owned by a Saudi company called Al Marai. It was a company started back in the 1970s by a couple of Irish guys, along with a member of the Saudi royal family. And the goal back then was to help develop Saudi Arabia's supply of dairy products. But... Of course, there was just one slight problem. Saudi Arabia is a desert, and sand can be pretty tough to grow alfalfa in to feed all their dairy cows, especially with limited water. 
So El Marai bought some agricultural land in Arizona, around 10,000 acres, plus a little bit more they leased directly from the state. And he started growing hay to feed their dairy cows, a number that now totals around 200,000. But as listeners know, there's a pretty nasty drought out west. Although it is true, things are looking much better this year due to some good snow and rainfall. But recharging the aquifers, that's going to take some time. Many years, in fact. So the question is, how much water should we allow to be pumped out of the ground in places like La Paz County, all out west where there's not a lot of water? And what about foreign companies? Should they get any water at all? Well, last week, the Arizona Attorney General weighed in on this issue. She decided that she's going to revoke two drilling permits that were slated to allow that Saudi company to drill more than 1,000 feet into the water table to pump up 3,000 gallons of water per minute to irrigate its hay crops. So she justified this decision based on, well, frankly, some technicalities related to the paperwork of the permits, but it's pretty clear from what she said that there was a rationale that's far greater than some simple paperwork problems. Here's what she said, quote, Foreign-owned companies should not be allowed to stick a straw in our ground and use our water for free to grow alfalfa, of course, and then send it home to Saudi Arabia. We just can't, in the midst of an epic drought, afford to do well, dumb things with our water in the state of Arizona. Not anymore. End quote. Well, whatever you think of that and what she said, critics note that American farmers in the state and regionally grow all sorts of crops, hay and otherwise, and that in turn, those folks sell that to international markets, like to the Saudis. In other words, even if the state of Arizona is going to limit this Saudi farm from growing or exporting hay, you're still going to have American farmers in the area doing the same. Unless those farmers, well, they have to face new restrictions too. And that is what the agricultural community in La Paz County is very concerned about this morning. And that's because farms and ranches in the area employ most all of the county's workers. So those are the big questions being wrestled with in Arizona this morning. So let me ask you, how would you resolve this if you were in charge? Do you restrict the water from use by the Saudis? Or do you expand that? Do you restrict it by all farmers? And if you do so... What happens to the workers and the communities who rely on the crops that are grown from that underground water? So those are all pretty good questions that I'm going to leave you with this morning. But in the meantime, I am going to be watching this story very closely because America's food supply is really about national security and it warrants our very close attention. All right, my friends, with that, let's wrap up this morning with our final brief of the day. And it has to do with events out of the country of Sudan, which I shared with you last Friday. So to refresh our memories, we've got two very senior members of the Sudanese military battling out for control. You may recall we discussed on Friday, perhaps the biggest concern is a national lab with some viruses and nobody's quite sure where those are. Well, this morning, we've got a new concern to talk about, and it is very, very different. So, folks, if you drink uh, fizzy sodas, let's say like Coke or Pepsi, you're probably not going to be happy with this news because, as it turns out, there is a key ingredient in things like soft drinks and candy and cosmetics. Well, that ingredient mostly comes from Sudan. 
And with war raging there, it means that we might run out of that ingredient and all the products that rely on it. So here's what we know based on reporting from Reuters News Service with this quick background. Folks, have you ever heard of gum Arabic? If not, don't worry. Most of us have not. But here's what you need to know. It's basically a, a sap, right, that oozes out of a tree. And that tree is endemic to only the countries of Sudan, South Sudan, and the country of Chad. Right now, interestingly, gum Arabic helps bind together other ingredients and products. It helps prevent separation in formulas of sodas and pet food, uh, nutrition bars, candies, even cosmetics. Well, around 70% of the world's supply of gum Arabic comes from Sudan. And as of this morning, getting any of that supply has become impossible. That's according to a fellow named Muhammad Al-Nur, who runs the company Gum Arabic USA. Now, some buyers are trying to get this sappy stuff in the neighboring country of Chad, but it's, well, it's more of marginal quality from that place. Plus, sadly, there is civil unrest in that country, too. Well, as you can imagine, this is especially bad news for soda companies like Pepsi and Coca-Cola, who, according to Danny Haddad of Agrigum, cannot make their sodas without gum Arabic. Now, there is one bit of good news here to share. Buyers have around six months of gum supply in storage. But after that, all bets are off, most especially by around Thanksgiving. So you might want to check your food labels, folks, uh, see if gum Arabic is listed in the ingredients. Because if so, you might want to stock up now. With that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude this morning's episode of The Right Report. But I've got one more thing before I let you go. So enjoy this next break, which will be ad-free. And we will be right back. Welcome back to The Right Report with one more thing before I let you go. First up, I got to ask you a question. How would you define a secure border? Because the U.S. Secretary for Homeland Security was asked that question yesterday on NBC. And a listener, Jacob in Lamar, Colorado, wrote in, and he asked what I thought about his response, which was this. This is what Homeland Security Alejandro Mayorka said when he was asked to define a secure border. Quote, It is maximizing the resources that we have available to us to deliver the most effective results, end quote. (laughs) All right. Maximizing the resources that we have available to us to deliver the most effective results. That sounds like a non-answer to me, a perfect Washington, D.C. answer, which if I can just (laughs) offer you my opinion, that seems a little bit alarming that a Homeland Security chief can't quite come up with what a secure border looks like. Because I think the simple answer is nobody gets in without being invited. At any rate, I want to put this on your radar, folks, because in 10 days time, the U.S. government will stop using an immigration rule called Title 42. I briefed you on that back on April 13th. So when we're done here today, if you're a little bit confused on what Title 42 is, take a listen again to that episode to refresh your memories. But the point is, Title 42 is going away. And we could see a hundred thousand or more illegal migrants pour across the southern border in the hours and the days after May 11th. In fact, it is going to get so bad, ladies and gentlemen, that the city of El Paso is declaring a state of emergency this morning to deal with the likely tsunami of human beings. 
The Democrat mayor, uh, Oscar Leeser of El Paso, thinks that the number could be 10,000 a day or more in just his city. And by the way, it's not just in El Paso. The city of Brownsville just issued a state of emergency as well because they have actually been crushed by over 15,000 illegals in just the past week. So however you answer the question of what does a secure border look like, well, I humbly submit to you that based on what we're seeing, America's southern border is not secure. It is wide open. And in fact, the proof is that our cities, in this case run by Democrats and Republicans alike, are all declaring a migrant emergency. And it's a shame, quite frankly, that our leadership at the Department of Homeland Security can't say that. Well, and they can't stop it either. And with that, ladies and gentlemen, we conclude your morning brief. As always, I will see you tomorrow, God willing. Until then, I leave you with the creed of every good spy and every wise American. They're the words from the Gospel of John, chapter 8, verse 32. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Good day.